Welcome to season 2 of Madhuring, a podcast that explores Indian Madhuring through true stories. I'm Veena Hari, a mental health professional, a feminist, a mother of an almost 4-year-old, and founder of Bhavati Foundation, a not-for-profit that works on reproductive mental health in India. There are so many things I wish someone had told me before I became a mother. But the true mothering stories of Indian women are rare and hard to find. This podcast hopes to bring these stories together. We ask some uncomfortable questions about the way things are around mothering today and find some unexpected answers through the rich and varied life experiences of our guests. So grab a cup of your favorite beverage and get comfortable for this heart to heart and find all joy and some tears in these true stories. I hope you find the story you need to hear. Have you ever avoided going to a social occasion dreading the questions about having a child? In today's episode when is the good news? Psychologist Shama Shah talks to us about consent or the lack of it when individuals' reproductive choices are being discussed within families and social functions. We talk about being therapists in the Indian context and how our various identities play a role in the kind of therapists we become. We share our journey of coming to terms with the label of being a feminist and explore the way it has changed over the years. Shama is so good at articulating the complex, nuanced aspects of life, and she brings all of this deliciousness to our episode today. We discuss valuing the journey over the finality of a decision and the power of having a choice. I hope this episode brings to your awareness more choices you have. So welcome to our podcast Shama thank you so much for being there uh, especially on a sunday morning uh, i know how those how precious those can be so i'm so glad that you're sharing that time with us uh, how are you doing today i'm doing well veena thank you like you said sunday morning also brings in a little bit of a nice feeling somehow so also good day to have a conversation <laughs> absolutely absolutely i agree with you especially these kinds of conversations i think i enjoy them so much um and after every episode i'm just literally after the episode as well thinking for like a couple of weeks about uh, the conversations and it's just so is just a lovely process okay so let sure. me just quickly do a little bit of a formal introduction uh, for all those listening uh, to know a bit about you and then of course we'll go more into the conversation uh, yeah. so shama is a mental health practitioner and has experience with individuals couples and group therapy for adolescents as well as adults uh, she works with a wide range of issues uh, ranging from relationship concerns parenting concerns body image issues work life stress as well as the clinical concerns of depression and anxiety uh, she's also certified as a queer affirmative counselor uh, by maliwala health initiative um, that's a lovely little certification uh, i've also had the privilege to do that and it was really life changing <laughs> uh, she believes in collaborating with her clients to identify unhealthy patterns of thinking and working on building strength and resilience by changing the same um, so that's like the formalish part of um, the introduction but uh, shama and i go way back because we kind of did our masters together uh, and oh my god it was such a uh, such a time <laughs> in our lives like i mean it almost feels surreal yeah. now when we think back to it uh, and since then we've been friends and you know um, met at different i think once life changes happened we kind of reconnected and shared that and that's been really lovely uh, to share with you so thank you so much for coming on again um sure i want to give you some space to also 
tell the audiences a little bit about yourself because like i said this is more of a formal introduction <laughs> so how 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 would you describe yourself um interesting question like i it's so, it's so typical to fall into introducing yourself as the professional identity over and over uh, but thankfully that has been taken care of already today <laughs> so yeah i mean i don't know i i'm someone that i feel um i'm someone that is just always very interested and excited by multiple things in life i think i've finally come to terms with accepting that it's okay to always have new interests and want to do new things and suddenly feel like oh ye bhi karna hai ye bhi karna hai um so so that's who i am i think professionally as well as personally i think that's that's the one thing that uh, probably comes to closest in defining me so yeah i live and work in bangalore now uh, i've lived in different cities had different experiences and uh, i think i'm just i like traveling i like exploring coffee in in all all new places that i can so yeah just very small little things that keep me going and happy right and i want to add to that because i think you're being very humble <laughs> about the things that interest you but uh, yeah just to also share with the audiences uh, shama has got a very interesting take on most things which she generously shares on her social media uh, she has these lovely little write ups she puts about life experiences observations uh, just life around her and it's so beautiful to see the world through her eyes uh she has a way with words of course and her perspective is beautiful and unique and uh, that's one of the you know uh, one i really enjoy your page shama i don't know if i ever told you but i really do uh and you know actually take the time to if i don't have the at the moment to read it i actually take the time to you know save it and come back to it and read it with a little bit of a pace because i think that's your style and you know the reflection built into it so yeah thank you so much for that i want everyone to know that as well <laughs> thank you right okay so uh, moving on uh, let's begin right in and you know um uh, you do work in a particular place and i wanted to start by contextualizing that a little bit for everyone who's listening so if you can tell us a little bit as much as you know uh, feels relevant here what is a typical day at work for you like sure yeah so i'm currently working um... with the therapy team at cultfit cufit mindfit we have a lot of fit names now uh, but cultfit i think is the most well known term i think for everyone across the country so we have a team of about some 90 95 active therapists on the platform i'm currently leading the team uh, for all of them so typical day at work now is quite a mixture interestingly in terms of seeing my own clients um, you know looking at more logistical managerial aspects that's thinking some corporate things in life uh it's really a good mix of um you know being sort of having perspectives basically on multiple ways of understanding how uh the professional side of things work so yeah i think it's i'm at a stage where i'm not only practicing anymore um so i think it's a little bit of that expansion of looking at the bigger picture of how mental health and a country can go hand in hand thank you for sharing that and you know it just comes to my mind that um like i was talking about in the introduction we've had the chance to meet at these interesting life stage transitions uh yeah. and i think the first one we met at was when both of us uh, when I, we were kind of freshly married <laughs> uh, you know i want to say dewy eyed full of optimism <laughs> kind of <laughs> in that space and you know just learning to navigate and uh, adjust to that whole landscape uh, and then we had the chance to meet when you were just at the precipice of taking on this uh, new role uh, which was really a lovely time to meet you to you know uh, understand where you're at with that and you know of course having had just gone through the pandemic and you know it was the larger part 
of it was kind of over and we were at the beginning of this new bit so i remember that conversation and i'm so glad that uh, you know um, I, i mean i can totally imagine the minute you told it to me i can totally imagine why you'd be like the perfect person for this uh, job like there is no doubt about it uh, you bring in so much perspective to it so i'm i'm are you enjoying it is it something that you like to do definitely i mean and that's what happens after a while of being a practitioner i think it's at least i personally have found it very um sort of important and relevant for me to have different experiences and different exposure because i feel that's where you break the rut and come back to realizing this is what you really want at the end of the day so you it's easy to get pulled into this what am i doing where am i things are not getting better everybody's just sad all the time but yeah i think just taking a step back and looking at something different and like i said the bigger picture i think that gives you a lot more perspective as well so definitely enjoying it <laughs> glad glad to hear that okay so going on to these other and i really like that you talk about how and it's so true right uh, everything else we do in life itself also kind of seeps into the therapy space right everything we are everything we are you know exposed to comes kind of in and that's why it's so important to stay in all of these different as many intersection as you can right uh so yeah. one of my most favorite intersections to talk about um, is definitely feminism so is that mm-hmm. something do you identify yourself as being a fem- feminist what what was the journey like um yes i would i think i'm i'm in a position to actually say yes i do identify myself as a feminist mostly because i think i've overcome the struggle of um doing away with what feminism is not and i find the conversation around that to be so sort of integral to defining what feminism is right because um it's so easy for us to get carried away into hatred into uh, just using that sort of all negative experiences and channeling them as you know okay because i'm a feminist i'm going to be able to do this and say this but yeah i mean for me i think at the end of the day if um uh, sort of going in line with what the queer affirmative approach talks about as well but i think for me feminism is not so much about a specific gender or about a certain community of people but it's a form of thinking it's a philosophy of life so as long as we're coming from a space of accepting and respecting the freedom that every individual um you know exercises or you know lives with i think that sort of forms the crux of the whole approach as well right and you you said something very uh, striking to me which is like you've overcome the struggle with the term uh right so if you could tell yeah. us a bit more about that because oh my god i've been on that journey too <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah i mean it, it feels naive now to think that way when i look back but uh, you know having had your own experiences uh, of going through certain things because you belong to a certain gender all your life uh, and also you yourself having made a lot of assumptions because that's what you were always told and that's what you always saw everywhere and not realizing that you had the choice to think differently you had the choice to behave differently you had the choice to connect with people differently so a little bit of that um you know a little bit of that vengeance driven feminism or um you know i'll make my point and i'll be heard and i will take my space i think that struggle now feels like something i've managed to sort of come away from so a lot of that is what it started with and you you end up being an activist even when you don't need to you end up um, you know protesting in places where you could have just sort of accepted that this is not my place to fight a battle in so that i feel has finally changed and that's a lot more relaxing as well 
Oh yeah, absolutely. That is so true and so beautiful. It's also so much about uh, picking your battles, kind of in a way, uh, like you're saying. Uh, and you know, this is something that I've been thinking about recently, which is that when we're younger, it's a lot more about you know. There's of course a lot more energy. There's a lot more. Not to say that we're old right now, but I'm just saying comparatively, when we were younger, <laughs> uh, you know, it, there's a lot more energy in it, right? And it's almost a little bit more vociferous, uh, you know. And then as you as you progress, you're like, well, everything doesn't need a loud voice. It kind of needs a smart argument, uh, right? And it's, it's it's more strategic. It's more picking your place. Um, and it's also, uh, and you know, this is one of a very interesting question. A young, a very young person had once asked me is that how can you tolerate uh, the men in your life not seeing your point? I'm like, what is there to tolerate? It's, <laughs> you know, so I think it's a lot about perspective. Right. Uh, and the example I gave her was, well, you wouldn't expect someone who grew up in China to know Hindi. Right. So why would I why would that frustrate me? Right. It makes logical sense that it's not their set of experiences. So it's it's far away for them. And, you know, it's um, it's my choice to choose whether I want to do the translation, the emotional labor of that when I want to do it, when not. That's all a different thing. But um, the frustration comes from the assumption that everyone should understand you know, and I think as you mature yeah. in this journey of feminism, you realize, well, that's the whole point. Everyone has a different point of view and that's all okay. Uh, you know, li like you said, it's not about one gender or one kind of, you know, uh, thing. It's just a way of thinking. Uh, and that's why the intersectional aspect of it is so prominent. So yeah, thank you for bringing uh, that in. How does this come into the work you do as a therapist, you know, because, and I I'll give you a bit more context to this question because... <sighs> In our training, so much of time is spent on being neutral, right? And being like this blank space. And that's kind of what uh, is essentially taught to us, uh, right? And then, of course, we come into the real world and, well, everything is not as clinical and clean as a therapy room, <laughs> you know, things seep into each other. So how do you navigate and how does this feminism uh, kind of seep into the work you do as a therapist if it does? It, it totally does I think because like you said right at the start right that uh, all growth that you go through as a person um, all losses you go through as a person everything contributes into making you a more intuitive therapist is what I feel so um, I think there's a stage when we're very theory driven very structure driven very my textbook said this so I will do this driven uh, but eventually it's very intuitive as a process eventually it's you bringing yourself into that journey and seeing how much of you and your own learnings can actually help you also be more empathetic right so empathy can't be some sort of a you know acquired skill for that matter it really has to be something you experience deeply but I think in, on a more specific note in terms of how it informs my work for the better is also sort of what you highlighted earlier that even as a therapist I need to know when to pick a battle and when to not um, you know, am I, and also, I mean, the one very, very strong guiding light, like Dumbledore says, lights will always guide you back home. Uh, but as a therapist, when I feel that challenge and struggle, and, you know, if I feel emotionally very caught up, for me, a single question of, is this what my client wants? And is this in my client's benefit right now? I may think it is important. I may think they really need to learn this and know this and all of that, but not everyone's in the same uh, point in their journeys as you are. So as long as I'm able to sort of, you know, keep that in perspective and that in mind, it helps me realize when is it a good time to take a certain conversation forward and when is it a good time to just sort of, you know, be around, let them know that you're here for deeper conversations, maybe more challenging conversations, but not be the one that takes that ownership on their behalf. 
absolutely i love that that's such a lovely way to put it uh, i completely agree and you know i think one bit that i would like to add on to that uh, i'm sure because you know you were also uh, from the qacp course so there's a lot of discussion around that which is um, also understanding when parts of this is internalized and that's affecting the client i think that's for me one very clean uh, example of how it will seep in because if i'm feeling for example when i work with new mothers and there is a lot of pressure on the kind of mother you have to be uh, and that would be internalized that i'm not a worthy person if i'm not a worthy that's where for me the conversation on feminism comes in and you know we talk yeah. about it then from the social justice point of view we talk about it okay so let's look at what's going on let's look at what the structure is uh, before we you know are um, criticizing what we are doing for example i just wanted to give you one of i'm sure you know uh, you'll have a, a ton of them as well uh, but this is something that um, i've struggled with a lot as well as a therapist so i'm always interested in the therapist journey because it's so hard to move away or it's not hard it's a journey to move away from you know well the textbook says this uh you know uh, and very silly examples of that is um when you know of course we are trained we know that okay it's a therapy hour right so it's like an hour but to be in situations especially when you're working at the grassroots where you have 10 minutes you just have 10 minutes there's no room there's the stairwell at the back <laughs> people may come and go <laughs> but that's all the time you have uh you know and you do what you do in that space and to kind of lean into that and to work with that system uh right without being completely disillusioned or feeling uh, or taking it personally and feeling like you know how is this going to play out right so i think that's why these journeys and these intersections the the theory and the practice always interests me i find it a very you know interesting space do you, do you have yeah. examples like that yeah i mean so also tying it back to the qa approach like you mentioned but also again i feel that that's such a um, parallel to who you are as a person and how you're changing that because you've been able to identify how you have internalized so much and hence experienced a certain thing a certain way it just makes it so much more possible to bring it into your client space as well right so and i feel that especially as a therapist um while I, while i'm not coming from a space of seeing this relationship as a top bottom hierarchical relationship but you do realize that as a professional you have a certain sense of power and if you use it in the right way if you use it in a constructive way for you to be able to um give your client permission because they haven't been able to do it so far but if you give them the permission to acknowledge how it's not them but how it's so much around them uh that is causing them to feel think behave experience a certain way and it, it's a very painful realization i feel to come to i mean you know holding space for that and sitting through people acknowledging stuff like that but it's painful because that sort of means you have sort of been living a whole life in a very very different tinted way uh but also at the same time it's so liberating because someone's actually saying hey you can stop living that way you do have a choice to see yourself differently so a lot of clients come in mind of course uh but i mean i mean in a more generic nutshell manner i think it's it's a sense of liberation and freedom that comes with these conversations absolutely love the example you gave which is just giving permission you know and i think that's such an important uh, aspect of it um i had a kind of small discussion uh, which was post a play we were just discussing you know the aspects of the play and i had a very lovely sharing with one of the um, 
audiences over there and she was like it was more about how much if my therapist says it's okay it's okay <laughs> you know and i found that like such a simple way to explain such a profound experience and relationship uh you know and like we talk about you know uh, the therapeutic relationship being healing in itself uh, right and that you know giving you the that's what becomes whatever every client needs uh you know and that's another thing that i've been thinking about that how it transforms right for someone it is literally just having a sounding board especially when you're looking at during the pandemic it was quite rough there were clients who had literally access to nobody else uh to talk to yeah. and then in that space the therapy space becomes the only interaction uh you know so it transforms from that to something else and every client makes it what they needed to be you know and that's uh i think the other beautiful part about it okay last therapy question before i move on to motherhood because i'm loving this whole uh, turn of you know conversation um like yeah. you said holding space is uh, is also just take a toll on the therapist themselves right there is it's 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 a lot of work so i'm always also interested in how do you um care for yourself through this process especially some you know and this is very unexpected there are days when you know you'll have five sessions but they'll all be okay and then the, there are days you have two and you're you know gone <laughs> you're like gone out of you know the whole week is like so if you can talk us through a little bit how do you care for yourself in this process what processes do you follow if you yeah sure i mean again i feel there's such a for me also i'm loving this conversation because i feel it's happening at such a time when i'm in this reflective space anyway already and i'm coming to realize how um the way i'm defining so many of these processes has changed as well right so for me to actually um i mean had you asked this question to me a few years ago i'd have said the stuff like oh i read oh i go out oh i talk to people oh i take therapy but now i've realized for me to know that it's okay for me to pause um i think it's again the extending the giving permission also falls onto my own shoulders right so i need to be able to give myself permission to know i can't work with a certain set of clientele um you know i can't always be available i can't always be empathetic so i will screw up i will mess up and i think currently that's my definition of self care so all the other um the more obvious self care mechanisms are already in place but you sometimes realize that's not enough like you can do all the recreation in life that you want but it doesn't feel enough eventually and that is when you realize that it's okay to come out of a session feeling like you could have done better but not hold on to it for the rest of your day not hold on to it the rest of your journey with that client um apologize to your client be more open about it admit and say hey i think i you know goofed up uh, can we revisit a certain bit or just say I, i don't think i can take this forward but i think my colleague can so i think all of these uh, you know permission spaces for me right now seem to be like a very active thought and i think that's also what in my mind translates to self care yeah absolutely you know i i love that so much because um a lot of it I, and i would just probably add on to it is knowing yourself also in that sense that what are your limits uh, for example a simple question like how many sessions can i reasonably do in a day without feeling like burnt out by the end of it uh, for me it's also been a question of what are the kinds of clients that i'm able to do justice to and where what are the ends of my own skill set uh for example it may for me for example it is age range i know post a certain age i don't have the skill set to connect or work as well 
as I do uh, with maybe a younger <laughs> group of people. So being okay with that. And, you know, you don't have to be like this master of all. I can do everything. You know, I have the answer to everything. Uh, also giving myself, like you say, a lot of it is giving permission. But for me, it's also a lot of observation. Sometimes intellectually, we feel like, you know, I don't understand why is this stressing me out so much. This is like, you know, X, but listen to your body, right? It is clearly heavy for you. So reflecting on that, okay, why is this heavy for me? Heavier than maybe the other things, uh, you know, and I think that can be so individual. It can be so phase specific, uh, you know, for example, you're in a phase of trying and if at the same time you have a client who's trying, clearly not a space to probably, you know, um, engage in, in that sense until you've resolved your own stuff. Otherwise, there'll be, of course, a lot of this, you know, coming into the session. So those kinds of questions, I think I would, the only thing yeah. I would add to that is observation of self uh, right and kind of awareness sure. in that sense yeah right so let's sweep into the next part of this conversation uh, which is as you know uh, the conversation on motherhood uh, and mothering so what was your earliest understanding of motherhood as a child and what does the word mother even bring to your mind wow that's a large question <laughs> But I think when I when I look at the word mother again, it's a space that has evolved quite a bit um, as a feeling, as a concept, as a relationship, as a thought. And I think the one thing right now, if I were to think of the first immediate idea is nurturing, nurturance, care, love. Uh, and, and I think that's that's also a lot to do with what my professional understanding is brought in for me because uh, my experiences growing up uh, about motherhood were more uh, gender driven. They were more uh, driven in terms of, you know, love at all costs, sacrifice. Uh, they were driven with a lot of those, um, what's the word, very stereotyped ideas of what a mother has to be. And I think my mother also happily did take that role up. So for me to also come to that realization that I don't know if stereotypes apart, she would have probably still been the mother that she was, maybe, maybe not. I don't know how much of it was her own conditioning, how much of it was, you know, her expectations of, from herself and whatnot, right? So um, that's a that's a large area to keep thinking and talking about. But from, from having seen uh, the word mother in a very uh, compartmentalized, almost suffocating way, to now being able to see the myriad experiences that mothers talk about. And thankfully, we do have, you know, more spaces, more platforms, uh, more avenues to bring in the gray colors of this journey. So I think that's, I don't know if I really answered your question, but that's all that came up at the go. Absolutely. No, I think that's, uh, you've caught it very beautifully. And, you know, um, maybe let's slide into the next part of it, which is, you know, your own personal experiences. If you would share with us, uh, how do you feel about becoming a mother? You know, where are you on that journey, that thought? Yeah, so um, I think I am at a stage where I have a more clear answer. I do know that this is a journey I am willing to take forward at some point. Um, and yet there is so much of uh, a mixed emotion around it. There's so much of, because again, you know that for you to really ask yourself and, and be able to listen to your own answer of whether you really want it or whether you think you're supposed to want it. 
and it's such a fine line because you know your maternal instincts are supposed to kick in by a certain age and the biological clock is ticking and oh my god it's going to be this that and uh, a lot of your frustrations in life are only because you've not yet become a mother and once you have that you know one target of all adulation adoration and love everything's going to be okay so uh, i mean i'm 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 sure i'm being a little um, nasty here when i say it like this but that's also how it's felt all this while right that that sort of i think at some point it was get married and that's the only agenda in your life and almost overnight similar to how bollywood presents it sometimes the stereotypes make it sound like but you do realize that people sort of overnight shift all their attention to okay your next stage is to become a mother and you don't realize how much of your own thought processes how much of your own stress how much of your own but but i have a career ambition but i have you know a certain travel ambition i have a certain relationship ambition with my husband am i even thinking of all that or am i just saying okay but motherhood okay but motherhood so while i'm i'm in a place where i'm comfortable to say i want to become a mother i'm not comfortable with um having to explain that uh to people because i don't see any spaces for conversation it's almost like if i were to say hey you know i finally made up my mind i want to become a mother it's almost met with a dismissal as to huh weren't you anyway supposed to become a mother like hello what did you just come up with on your own <laughs> Oh, I love that. I think that is so true, right? Because it's like, हाँ, ये तो obvious था ना मतलब इसमें what was the journey uh, that you know uh, you're referring to? And you know, absolutely agree. And I think that's kind of you've kind of answered partially my next question, but just for more, you know, for you to elaborate on it more. Did you feel like you had enough space to have this questioning uh, about the need to be a mother and whether that's something you want to do? Yeah, I think. Um... in retrospect i realize i have and gratefully so but i have had enough space to have that conversation and question question maybe with my own self conversation maybe with my own self but also conversations with my partner conversations maybe even with my mother to understand how her journey has been what is and for me i think it's been very important to understand the negative aspects of this also because we're so focused on talking about all the goodness around being a mother Uh, to the point of almost penalizing and you know sort of um uh, judging the neg- negative aspects of it i mean technically we understand right as a therapist i know there is postpartum depression and there is a whole range of postpartum emotions a mother can struggle with but in a common parlance as an individual in a society i haven't had healthy spaces of conversations around the problems of being a mother and and there was a time when i struggled with a massive sense of insecurity in terms of but you know taking such a long break and not doing anything will just mean i have no identity left because the whole of me was defined by the work i did and what will happen to that will i be in the race anymore and what if people are going to move ahead and i'm going to find myself you know uh, very lost from scratch will i regret that decision at that point and so many such questions has been a phase that i've gone through in terms of professional insecurity there's been a phase where i've wondered if um you know am i willing to change my relationship with my partner to the extent of completely redefining it again a lot of it is in my mind hypothetical right now i don't have real access to these experiences but from all that i've heard and read about and for me to be able to um spend time thinking about it 
without constantly directly being pressurized to a certain deadline because unfortunately i've heard of stories where you have meddling uh, elders in the family that sort of plan your sexual activity because a child has to come <laughs> you know by a certain timeline and unfortunately i've known of friends and women who've gone through those journeys and again i don't think we were allowed to have honest conversations i never had the courage to openly ask them if they're okay about it because i thought what if i'm breaking that that you know thread that they're holding on to and what if i'm sort of bringing in questions that they're not ready to answer and acknowledge at this point so knowing that things could have gotten much worse i i realized the privilege and gratitude um, you know of having had this space and which is where for me i think the whole aspect of consent comes in that for me and and right now i think i'm in a position where even if the world doesn't acknowledge that this was my choice and my consent into this journey moving forward but for me it's important that that's how it happened right absolutely i think that's such a um often ignored part of this entire space which is consent right and being mindful of the question you're asking no matter how valid or whatever how how entitled you feel to the question uh, and to the information on the other side of that question uh, but is there space in the person's life mind emotions for holding that question so uh, you also <laughs> spoke about how elders um take these things very i mean i think it's almost like an uh, agenda for them and it's like a you know full blown campaign mode project mode that they kind of go into uh you know so yeah tell us more about what does consent for you look like in these contexts uh or if also if you have some examples of where and how usually these you know barriers are broken uh right if there have been examples experiences yeah i mean so the way i look at consent in this particular space comes in with a lot of gray because uh, you know for for much simpler things where it's very individual driven consent can look very black and white but in a context that is so familial that is so it i mean impacts a whole family right it's not just the one person choosing to bear a child but it's also the partner to begin with what if you and your partner are not on the same page to start with and then that extends into their the partner's parents your parents more family members friends may have certain expectations and so on and so forth so because it's not a space where consent can look like a yes or a no is where i feel that um if we're able to at least acknowledge that this is my need and therefore i don't have to assume everyone has the same need around that particular experience in life so for a mother or a mother in law or a father or a father in law the more immediate parent uh, sets in a marriage in a heterosexual marriage for that matter um is to is to understand that i may have aspirations to have a grandchild grandchild i may have aspirations of even you know as as my husband let's say may have aspirations of of having a child by a certain age etc but for us to just acknowledge and say that this is what i wanted but that may not always mean that's what you want if you do great because i mean there's nothing wrong with two people wanting the exact same thing either right so it doesn't have to be complicated necessarily but just i think that's how i look at consent uh, in a space of motherhood because there's just too many people at stake to start with 
but at the same time i mean um for me to have like i mentioned i mean i think i've seen examples of all kinds so far and i've i've come to realize how honest conversations make the process so much easier it whether it is you know examples of women not wanting to bear a child and being supported by the family or women wanting to bear a child um not being supported by the family and again i'm just sticking to the realm of heterosexuality right now just to not complicate this conversation but uh, in both cases things can go wrong if there aren't honest communications if there are no um conversations where we're able to as mature adults acknowledge that this is how i feel about it you know so the more you're able to sort of just um convey that across and say and for me also for me if i had made a different decision if i had thought of not bearing a child ever in my life for me to not hold on to a sense of defiance uh, in in going about it you know that hey this is my body it's my right doesn't matter i don't care you just have to go by what i feel i think that's also not what consent can look like so there has to be a family buying into an idea eventually or a family at least acknowledging to agree upon their differences of how they look into it and still be sort of you know okay with each other about it so i think that's the whole sort of circle around this right yeah thank you for sharing that and you know it's um i think it's complicated to say the it is uh, in itself right because just by the simple thing of having multiple people who will have some very you know invested uh, <laughs> stakes into all of this right so just talking about uh, the first layer right which is the people who are immediately involved right but uh, i'm also curious to know what's your take on um, as we be- move beyond those layers right and we're actually talking about now social situations uh, extended family friends uh, where this can also be an interesting this what's that been like yeah sure and and i think i'm glad you're bringing that up as well because that's probably the layer that may not immediately come to mind but is um such a strong component of your day to day experience because you're not only talking to your family about it and well you're not also talking all the time about it right so a lot of it happens in a very unsaid expectations manner a lot of it happens in very um uh, what's the word um the suggestions that come in the indirect hints and messages that come in and you would see actually that happening with people beyond your family as well because again a culture i feel is not very equipped to have direct conversations we're very awkward about anything serious uh, to talk about it directly whether it's grief death loss uh, you know parenting marriage anything so you would you would also see this you know you can you can almost experience and feel the curiosity someone's experiencing about your life but they don't know how to present it and it, it therefore comes out in insensitive way so at least again for me personally as well as professionally to have come to this understanding that what looks insensitive on the face of it at face value isn't coming maybe from an insensitive place inside that person but because we don't have the right skills to have these conversations we don't know how to say hey i was just curious as to you know are you looking at family planning are you what aspirations do you have in life what 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 do your next few years look like because we don't know how to talk about it is where it becomes like oh do you have a child or oh, when you're planning for your motherhood or you still don't have a baby or oh, you've been married for so a lot of times you may not even bring in words like motherhood child parenting but oh you've been married for 6 years already is also loaded with so much of an assumption loaded with so much of a hint towards hmm it seems like you're missing out on something already like you're running late in life 
So again, I feel that that sense of insensitivity, uh, you know, that you end up experiencing in workplace and fr with friends, just in general. I mean, a lot of times you can have very small, small looking situations that again can get loaded is, let's say, visiting a clinic. You're, you're seeing a doctor for some ailment. I'm not even talking about gynecologists in particular yet, but just any medical help that you're seeking if you're married, your name has to look a certain way. You, uh, you know, again, married for how long? You don't have a child. And the moment you say you don't have a child, is that a problem? So clinically speaking, it's always assumed as being a problem. And hence, you've not gotten to this stage. Uh, from a familial social perspective, it's more like ki generation. They just don't know what is important in life anymore. They're just so confused all the time and they're delaying things. And this is very... Um, very weird assumption that comes in with not going ahead with mothering or motherhood immediately is that you're just so focused on having fun in life. You're running away from responsibilities. That's the other very strong assumption that I've very often heard about, not necessarily faced, thankfully. But, you know, I mean, the, the longer you're taking to get to that stage just means you're just in the stage where you want to have fun without any responsibilities. And I wonder if people realize there is inflation in life, there is, you know, rent to be paid, there are bills to be like, what part of this is just fun and no responsibility? So, yeah, I mean, I think I can really go on here. <laughs> No, please do. I think that's so important because and also, you know, I would like to talk a little bit more specifics about, uh, you know, um, what are what are these so-called because essentially what we're doing is we're trying to figure out what are the norms today. Uh, right. So we can uh, fairly say that uh, there is a slight push in terms of how uh, the age at which people get married now as compared to maybe 30, 40 years ago. Uh, there's also a slight push as to when uh, parenthood happens, uh, right? But I would just like to understand, you know, in your um, approximation, what's an acceptable age, uh, especially not just age of the parents themselves, uh, but also like you talked about a very important part of it, which is, and you know, that's that was one of the questions as well, that does being married increase this pressure, affect this pressure in any other way, right? So also, what is the uh kind of number of years it's acceptable to be married without kids and where does it you know tilt into oh now you're just being indulgent about it yeah sure I mean yeah there's a lot here as well right so I feel I mean I, again interestingly that the focus on motherhood or parenthood again because I do feel um again heterosexual men experience the pressure maybe not so obvious ways but they do definitely experience the pressure but again the it's it's odd, but it, there's 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 one way to say that. Thankfully, this pressure comes in only once marriage uh, works out, right? Because otherwise, it's it's like a secondary, vague, looming thing. People just mention that you know, the more you delay getting married, the more it gets delayed to have a child. And when will you start your life? And again, just this whole whole notion that you have to. And I think that's the, also something so ingrained in us, right? That you have to get to certain milestones in life, and then you start living. So marriage is one of those milestones. Motherhood is one of those milestones. A certain financial security is a milestone, right? So, it, but but I feel if you're looking at only the parenting pressure or parenthood pressure for that matter is, is coming with the assumption that marriage has already happened. Because then there is like social legitimacy to uh, wanting to become a parent. God forbid if you have those aspirations without wanting to have a partner or a marriage. Uh, that's, I'm sure, a different podcast topic for us to really consider. But which is where again, so I don't know, I feel it's a very 
again, an evolving diluted space of what is the right number of years. For some people, two years is enough uh, of musty in life. For some people, four or five years is, you know, a decent, because again, I, I do understand that there are families that acknowledge that marriage is also a lot of work and that your relationship needs to grow in a certain way, in a certain space. For you to want to come to that um combined decision of wanting to experience a different aspect of a relationship again I've, i'm very consciously not saying this take your relationship to the next level nonsense if i may call it that but to say that it's a different chapter in your relationship and are you really okay to turn that page now you could be okay to turn that page in one year of time you could be okay to turn that page in seven years of time so it's so subjective in the couplehood. It's so rooted in two people's experiences of their own relationship and their own life ambitions that um, there's probably no way to come to an answer. And yet again, the social pressure also is so varied. Your immediate family may sometimes be, I think, more accommodating because they may have more access to your real uh, experiences. You know, if the couple is fighting, if there is a lot of turbulence in the marriage in the initial periods, Again, I mean, I'm sure there are families that will recommend motherhood as a solution to the problems also. But I feel, again, that so many families have evolved to healthier spaces and they're like, you need some time, right? So do this and then we can figure it out. But I think even the most giving and understanding of families may begin to feel some sense of anxiety and you know, agitation after maybe three, four, five years at the most. That are ab later, I mean, and again, so it's coming from such well-intentioned spaces that the later you do this, the harder it's going to get, which I do feel has scientific relevance. Not all bodies are the same age internally. Hormonal issues are on a massive rise, uh, you know, for a lot of people in our in the country and culture. And also at the same time, individually speaking, I can see how much more set I'm becoming in my ways in life. How my patience for a lot of things is so... Um, close to zero tolerance and, and how I'm so particular about how certain things need to be done can be done, that then going through an experience and a phase that requires a, a very strong sense of flexibility, on-the-fly learning, um, learning to be okay with mess, learning to be okay with not good enough days in the life and all of that, you can see how cognitively they will create a clash for you as an individual. So if you look at it from a therapeutic perspective, if you look at it from a mental health perspective, you can see the wisdom in those words. But again, when you see that that is just being played out as like a tape recorder, because every generation said it, so I also have to say this, that, you know, the earlier you do these, it's going to be for everyone. That is where I think it gets problematic. No, I absolutely love all of the pointers you've brought up. I'll just add my two piece to it. I think, yeah, I think this is an argument we've all heard a lot of. Uh, I think within sessions as well, I work with this a lot uh, because uh, I work with a lot of also uh, anxiety about getting married, uh, right? And everyone has like a panic age. Uh, and I love talking about this because I love appealing uh, like, where did this panic age come from? Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, I never thought about why is this number uh, like a scary number for me, uh, you know, and while like you're saying, you know, scientifically, it makes sense. But actually, the scientific bit of it and what is usually the panic age in people's head is like far of wide, you know, <laughs> it's like pretty there's a lot there's still time. It's not we're not, you know, uh, there yet. So that's definitely one part um, of this conversation. I love to unpeel. Okay, what is this magic number that you are <laughs> that we are working towards, which is why I wanted to 
to talk about numbers here as well uh, you know ki what is this correct number at which you know oh this is the perfect age um and having said that i also feel like to add a you know another point to what you're talking about yes uh, as you're older things become more set but i also think about so uh, i had my son and i was pregnant in my 20s right i was still not um, in my 30s yet and i feel like uh 20s are also characterized a lot by kind of finding yourself right you're still adjusting to yourself making space to be your authentic self uh and in many ways that can be trickier to go through such a huge transition uh which is why you'll often see people who are earlier becoming mothers it becomes a very part of you know there it becomes a part of that becoming of yourself in many ways right Whereas in my thirties, if I think about it now, if I were to consider being pregnant again, oh, I would do it so differently. <laughs> like I would be so chill about things that I was so not chill about, you know, just five years ago. Uh, you know, so I also feel while there are definite cons to doing it later in life, the the one thing that I always talk about is is that it's better to do it when you know yourself better. So in that way, being set in your ways is not a bad thing, really, because you know it's it's like well, I know this is how I function. Whereas in the twenties, you're still like, I'm not yet figured out how I function. Uh, you know, and a lot of it is still in flux. A lot of it is still you know you're trying to uh, still get over these internalized um, ideas that you've incorporated, your own conditioning, your own biases. um and you in short you still giving yourself a hard time <laughs> which <laughs> lessens over time uh, you know and uh, uh, one way of looking at motherhood is it's like the perfect place to give yourself a really really hard time <laughs> about everything uh, you know because it can be like you said to learn to be okay with so many things you know uh, mess uh, chaos lack of routine um, and just emotions flying everywhere uh right which i think um as a therapist we carry this invisible burden that the minute you show some emotion people are like but but <laughs> you are a therapist so yeah i am a therapist but we have emotions too you know <laughs> i mean same hormones same body same you know um kind of space that we are functioning from so i think all those are very interesting questions uh the other thing yeah you know uh the years that it's okay to be married and not have kids so interesting because they say no oh uh, maza kar lo and you know have the masti as you called it or you know but it's so funny because theoretically that's the hardest period in the marriage <laughs> it's a lot of work it's like someone calling maternity leave a vacation i cannot tell you the mental slaps that have been given because i'm like you have no idea what goes into and you know it does not feel like a vacation in any way you know uh, it's just and for me the, the reason i bring these up and i want to you know talk about it is because it's so um easy to assume from the opposite side uh, right that oh you know you guys are just married oh wow you know you're like that Period. You don't know which period we are in. <laughs> like, you you cannot tell. Like, even now, if you have somebody who marries, and you know, we're slightly maybe somewhere a little ahead on that curve. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to be. So, all the best is probably the best. You know, you can say versus, oh wow, this is the best time. You know, enjoy it and all of that. You don't know what's happening. Uh, and I think what yeah. you talked about 
especially the turbulence that can be characteristic of um, sometimes early years, especially uh, in certain contexts, right? Not always, not always for sure, but it's one of the themes that often comes up uh, when you're working in that space. Um, and the societal solution, and that's what, right? So being a pro-natalist culture, which is everything is about the kid. Everything is about the ultimate thing in life is bachagarlo. And that to two, that to one boy, one girl. Just to spell out the template for anyone who's not yet caught on <laughs> to it. Sure. <laughs> you know, anything less than that, not exactly that. Like, oh, you know, oh, you know, it's just, no problem. Next time you can try for, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe another baby and something else will happen. So I think it's very interesting. And uh, I was also just to extrapolate a little bit to this idea of this culture that we are in and these pressures that you've. Uh, so beautifully captured in examples is also it's got a very sometimes it's almost a duty this is your duty to society uh, or it's your religious duty and of course it's some layers is also it's got a nationalistic layer almost right almost you like doing this for your you know apne desh ke liye beta de rahe ho, kind of you know uh, which is very interesting because and I like to bring that in because to see to actually kind of take a bird's eye view to look at what are the pressures we are dealing with. So like you said, and we've been talking more about the psychological pressures because we're talking about family, partner, etc. But also religion and hence community, uh, right? To do the right thing um, by your religious uh, community to, and some cultures are much more, you know, heavier on this uh, as compared to others, right? So it, it, that that becomes an additional pressure for as an individual to navigate through that stress uh, in that sense, especially if you're not somebody who's ready for it. Uh, May, I mean, just a quick add-on to that thought is also, um, regardless again of religion or community, but even cities that you live in. So I live in a more urban culture. I live in a city where People are just too caught up in their own lives most of the times. And, you know, you, you technically have less bandwidth available to really constantly uh, helicopter other people's lives in that sense. But you live in a smaller city and that experience changes. Um, you live in cities where you're constantly meeting relatives on a regular basis and that experience changes. You live in a city where um, or you live in a space where, let's say, you have a lot of your own friends or a lot of your schoolmates Who've, who've moved ahead in this journey in some ways or who've had very different experiences in some ways and your experience changes, right? So the context and the intersectionality of your um, identity, including where you live uh, or even within cities, certain localities. So there's, there's just so much of a depth into this experience then that a lot of times again, and again, this may be with who, who you are as a person, right? If if you have self-esteem challenges, if you have challenges with identifying yourself sometimes or acknowledging, accepting and compa being compassionate with yourself, you may end up also assuming the pressure that wasn't exactly conveyed to you directly. So if I if I show up in a space where I'm, I'm meeting people and let's say four of them are mothers and I'm the fifth one who's not, I'm married but not a mother, there is an almost immediate sense of, oh, I'm the different one. There is an almost immediate sense of, um, you know, do I need to justify what's going on? Do I need to really quickly like, you know, bring in that, you know, a lot of us have a rescuer uh, mentality in life and you you want to just make everyone else feel better. No, no, I'll get there soon. Don't worry about it. 
so you don't know a lot of it you're doing just out of the anxiety of that situation a lot of it you're just doing because you got triggered in a certain way in that moment you didn't mean half of what you said or felt so i think there's just i mean uh, nuances there's just so many of it to look at and i mean the pressure can come in in, in maybe self created ways too right and you know uh, one of my other favorite uh, stories to tell and pressure since we talk about it is you mentioned the hormonal changes and how as a culture we are, a lot of it is coming up of course it's a lot of it is lifestyle but um i've actually had experiences where as early as in my early 20s uh gynecs have recommended getting married early and getting pregnant early as a solution to a hormonal disorder and you know i'd love to bring this up because i mean this is so telling <laughs> the process with which we think through these things uh you know because let alone where are you at career where are you at you know personally uh leave those things aside you know we now know that pregnancy for some reason resolves this thing we've not totally figured out right so why don't you just uh, go ahead with this and you know I, i mean it's it's amazing to me of course 20 and it's it's immense pressure because a the doctor has said it right and the doctor is like doctor ne bola hai ke you know this is so the the leverage it gives parents it gives anyone who i mean well wishers right because it's literally like the doctor's stamp on it right and then to navigate that stress uh right and then to have that looming around you know what's that uh, been like have you had something similar absolutely but i think even before i go on to the stress bit of it it just quickly brought back a lot of memories of having been the gullible person who believed in it for such a long time and the stress came in much later when i realized oh that's not going to solve my life problems really like my body problems either forget life but i mean i've been someone who just a quick disclosure i've been someone who's had very heavy menstruation cycles almost since my uh, menarche um very painful and very heavy cycles and uh, unfortunately most of my consultations and help seeking behaviors were mostly met with you will get pregnant and then that's going to be the end of all your pain all your uh, you know heavy cycles and it's going to be wonderful after that then i ended up having conversations with people and and it's almost like you know the the world falling apart sort of a realization like the thing shattering around you and people said no i still have pain after having delivered one child or more than one child and you're thinking that's not going to be the gateway to my problems anymore so i think again from having been someone who believed in these because like you said doctors right they're supposed to know everything they mean well for you and they're saying it because that's how it's going to actually happen from believing in it to now outrightly being offended by it i still go through that experience so even today when i approach a, a, a gynecologist because i have an issue with my hormones i have an issue with maybe acne i have an issue with heavy menstruation i am still met with why are you not thinking of getting pregnant yet what is wrong with you and that is the only way anything is in fact i do remember one of the doctors very actively having said something like see anyway once you get pregnant 9 months there's no pain right then we'll see what to do about it and i'm saying seriously is that your response to something i've been sitting with for such a long time in my life and i'm looking for some relief it's so it's so dismissive for me as a patient to not be acknowledged for the problems i've gone in for 
and being taken on a completely different ride of a conversation altogether. And and which is why, again, you know, this whole need to finding even the right kind of a doctor becomes so, so, so relevant that I am, despite being a therapist, just despite being very aware of how these processes work uh, and what, what agency I have as a patient, I, I legitimately have a sense of anxiety when I'm looking for a doctor to meet. Because I'm thinking I'm maybe just going to go back to the same old experience of being told you just need to get pregnant and your problems are going to be solved. And I'm going to once again come back with no real guidance of my current problems. So no, that's I'm so sorry for that experience, Shama. It's just so I think it's just so much wrong with that whole process, right? Because again and again, what comes up is being pregnant as the goal, you know, and as everything else is being, you know, collateral damage you know, oh, and the implicit suffering pain in a woman's life, at least physically, right? That people are almost like, oh, well, you know, too bad. That's your share of stuff to go through, uh, right? And these are things that really activate me. And I'm like, you know, it. but especially for things that don't have to be like that, right? It's We're not talking about the unavoidable. We're talking about just some medical attention, uh, right? And a fresh perspective, that takes this seriously, that is not dismissive, exactly, as you said, and that, you know, because think of it this way, how much that impacts your functioning, uh, right? Uh, and how much that, I just think of the number of days that add up, right, where you're probably not able to do what you like to do, uh, you know, and it's so, and it's so hard for me, because sometimes I also fall into this trap of trying to explain things from the point of view of economics or productivity, Right. Also, of course, though, although I don't believe that that's the only purpose, but just to ex- how do you, how else do you explain that? Uh, right. So when I'm talking to her, I'll be like, yeah. can you imagine losing three days in a month, every month for a year? You know how many days? That's like one month of off, which is not even an off. Uh, you know, and so many things like that because there's so much. This, of course, PMS. There's not just pain. There's just you know this whole thing. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think just to I think one addition to that particular line of thought is also I feel it's so brutal for some doctors to end up conveying that you are therefore actively adding to your problems by choosing not to get pregnant I think that's probably much worse than not finding solutions is to now come back feeling accused and say that oh it's me who's adding to my problems anyway so all I have to do is just acknowledge that motherhood is the only solution and yeah, I mean, and, on yeah, and also so, social is not the only price I'm paying. I have to pay this biological price for doing this unnatural right. thing of not choosing to be a mother at the right time. Uh, yeah. You know, I told you that this is uh, part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. So there's one more um, part of this consent conversation that we're having that I feel is so um, vital. Like we've talked about as a culture, we are very pronatalist and very invested in how to parent as well. Right. So it's not just that you have to become a parent like that's the template, that's the logical thing, but also which is the, what's the correct way to do that. Uh, right and often like we're saying you know there's there's very less consent around having those conversations I mean they're not even conversations they're largely just comments <laughs> you know which will be yeah. um, passed on uh, very freely so have, is, is that something you've experienced what's your take on that definitely I in fact would bring up a quick anecdote of a friend who's uh, I think she's due in the next three weeks 
And I was just doing a quick check-in in terms of how you're holding up, you know, how's it coming along? And, and she said how difficult it's been and how it's sometimes very hard. Sometimes it's much easier. And it's all, you know, you, you don't know what each day is going to look like. And I realized how, again, as a person and professional for me to have reached the space of understanding where I simply said, I don't know how to respond to this, but I'm here if you feel like talking about it, because I don't have my own journeys as a reference point here. I don't have, honestly, even if I did, I don't think that's a fair extrapolation to make and say, hey, you know, I did this, you should also try this. So either way, I think, you know, whether you've had that experience already or not, again, can we make space for what the person's going through now? Can we simply sit and listen? Can we let them know that, you know, we're going to be available? And, and that is an extension of consent too, right? For me to not assume that A, this person needs help uh, and B, therefore, this is exactly the help this person needs right now. It's, I think, again, a very uh, strong cultural tendency where you say, Mujhe and they'd be like, Ye karo, Right. So my zukam could be allergic reactions. My zukam could be a viral infection. My zukam could just be like a random sneezing affair after dusting the house. You don't know what's causing me to sneeze. And using that trivial, I think, analogy just to, you know, sort of bring in the impact that such conversations can have. Imagine the person's already going through something. They're already experiencing the challenge. And this is pregnancy. This can also happen post-motherhood, right? Because Again, I've, I've always seen it all around me because elders just know how to bring up the child. They have done it so many times. Uh, so they are already the pros and the experts. And all you have to do is close your eyes, follow their you know guidelines. And there you go. You're going to create a great successful product yourself. So, <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, tell me about it. This is right up my <laughs> alley in terms of, you know, experiences. So I think there are two parts to this. Let me try to break it up and, you know, also um, uh, give a little more uh, examples, maybe lived experience. Uh, one is, of course, the unsolicited advice during pregnancy. Oh, my God, that's such a thing. That's such a mountain, uh, almost an invisible burden of pregnancy itself, right? Because one is here is that you're going to have, you know, these, like you correctly said, one way to put it is every day is different. You don't know what every day is going to bring. Uh, you know, in, term, in every way, in terms of moods, energy levels, physical symptoms, you know, all of the entire set. Uh, and then you will have people who in varying levels of conviction will tell you that, well, here is the thing exactly that you need. And trust me, it's going to change your life. Just do this one thing. Rose ek chamaj ghee khalo. bacha slip ho jayega bahar. <laughs> you know, to I mean the absurdest uh, responses. You know, um, catch up on your sleep because you're not going to sleep for a really long time. I'm like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and how do you sleep when you like you have a like such a <laughs> big physical change going on? You know, so for some uh, pregnant women who are experiencing insomnia, that's such a FOMO. Uh, you know, oh, I thought this is going to be bad yeah. to be, you know, constantly reminded of, you know, oh, you know, this is the last, you know, enjoy it while <laughs> you can, um, which happens, you know, and so many parts of this, which are very, we almost feel as a culture. And, you know, I, I love this uh, particular saying, because it's so true. The one thing we say to each other in almost the second sentence, when we meet someone is, hey, how are you doing? And that's the one thing that we have no space to actually listen to. Right? Do we really have space to hear how she's doing or how he's doing, how they're doing? I mean, really, do we, do we actually want to, because the minute something 
unpleasant comes up there's like you know people are like adjusting <laughs> stuff and being like okay awkward uh, you know what do i say to that which comes from that core space of i have to say something right and i always talk about is do you have to do you have to say something right now <laughs> can you just hear you know and be like oh you know oh that must be hard uh right and that's it so yeah, this yeah. whole of course you know around the pregnancy the whole unsolicited and it's very interesting because and why it's specifically a burden during that time is because especially for a first time mom they don't know what's coming up in the experiential sense no matter how many books they've read in fact i always say the more books the more you know <laughs> anticipation uh right so in that period this can be really heavy uh right and you don't know what sticks and what hits and then there is of course the i call this our national pastime which is mom shaming right because we will always be like oh look at her look at her look at her uh you know and almost always never positive i mean i have never heard someone come up publicly and be like wow you're doing a fabulous job with your kid you know this must be so hard never has anyone ever said that and you know like i was telling i'm just coming fresh off a comment just yesterday of you know oh your son has become really skinny this skinny thing is just such a <laughs> you know um pain point because i think again we are like obsessed with feeding our children uh the food culture around you know of course and i you know i uh, in terms of philosophy completely disagree i'm like well if you want to eat you eat if you don't want to eat you don't eat there is no you know uh, it's your body it's your relationship to figure out uh, my job it is to offer you as many options my job is not to sure. sit you down and be like, <coughs> you know come on now you have to eat this much and this much and you know uh, it's not a race but i think what happens with this is especially with a perspective that's different for a for some uh, because as mothers one of the main thing is you know there are these what i call parameters of worth um so how much does your child weigh <laughs> how much how well behaved they are and then of course uh, the holy grail which is academic achievement these are your parameters of performing you know performing as a parent right so how how do you own up and uh, match up to each of these so i want to talk about how this whole bit about you just enter it's like almost a thing you know and uh, there are so many uh, and sorry for the <laughs> reference but i think we live in a culture there's so many reels about this <laughs> on instagram no, i'm thing, glad because in my mind i was saying instagram 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 to a lot of things <laughs> that you did say already <laughs> yeah i mean that's 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 how we think right now so i mean it's it, it makes sense to uh, talk about it but yeah so many of these where you just walk into a social occasion and you know before you know it it's like almost a blind side attack where suddenly your child's feeding habits uh, behavior everything is being like discussed as if it's like public property uh you know and i find that like the more i think about it you know of course it used to happen and then it's it's also large part of his interesting because we accept it that you know uh, and we try to give it a positive this that oh, he's just you know the only kid around people care about him which is all fair but the more i think about it the more i feel like wow it's so deeply deeply disturbing <laughs> you know like would you uh, would you discuss an adult's food in i mean we do i know it's, it's it's part of the culture but we do that but you know the the uh, conviction and it's almost like sides will form camps will form matlab ekdam ego ego pe baat aa jayegi ki nahi ye tarika hota hai aisa hota hai uh you know so yeah so that's that's one more very interesting part of this consent conversation because 
it will and it is all a kind of subtext for how good a job the mum is doing no one will ever go to a dad and be like your son is not eating well you know and we do that as women as well right we think about uh, people who don't eat a lot of diverse food and we think oh your your mom's done a bad job why the mom <laughs> why always the mom that's true i mean um we have a very uh, again deeply conditioned and internalized for sure but we still have such a um one sided way of approaching parenting journey by default right that we still unfortunately with maybe more awareness and education and openness and all of that we still associate certain developments of a child only with the mother and certain developments only with the father and that's also where so much of stigma so much of a consent lack of consent for that matter comes in and i mean sort of backtracking to you know where you mentioned reels and just the whole public property bit so for me to sit here and think of instagram in terms of the challenges it probably adds to this already complicated space right because you have people out there who are really showcasing an amazing pregnancy journey uh, who are all out there in terms of and again i i understand all of us may have a different approach to putting our experiences out there and it's absolutely fine that's why the whole platform exists but again if that is immediately being converted to stigmatize people who don't match up to those experiences or don't share their experiences in the same way um, and then again there's also a flip side where you also have mothers and i mean i would like to think of again as a therapist for me to see that maybe this is a lot of internalized ideas that they're also playing out maybe without any insight at the moment but then to see new mothers using every bit of I'm not sure if it's using the right word displaying every bit of their child's journey and growth on instagram which is just such a great fuel addition to this public property problem that you know that i don't know i don't know how to sort of you know i haven't really been able to reflect on it as much as i would like to but it's very painful for me to see that it's it's almost disturbing for me to see a child that is learning to be uh, you know an individual slowly is looking for agency in their own ways is just existing and growing is out there for um, entertainment is out there for comments it's out there for being judged opinionated on and then that just adds to the whole discourse on body shaming the rats the discourse on you know having the rights to tell the mother what is good and what is bad uh, and again the father is just conveniently an absent figure in the whole conversation right so again when you realize that um you know with with younger parents coming in with the recent generation moving ahead in their parenthood journey uh, thankfully there are more avenues and spaces for fathers to speak up about what they're going through and experiencing but this this almost obsessive focus on the mother right from knowing she's pregnant to the delivery and and way beyond that is also like that itself creates so much of an issue for the partner as well right so while the mother is also not comfortable with this obsessive focus we're not also realizing that the other person equally important in this journey and going through so much of a transition just not bodily maybe but so much of a transition at every other level is completely absent in the conversation and and when you just look at the whole layering around consent is when you realize that we work so much on assumption we work so much on because this is how it's always happened and we work so much on because i've done it i already know it 
that the spaces where changes can come in, the spaces where you can ask new questions and new answers, maybe, you know, have space to come in, go down. In fact, I'm, I'm watching this uh, interesting series where uh, there's a lawyer who actually says, and it's a, it's, it's one of those complicated murder mysteries and it's a lawyer and, and that's the general context. And the lawyer actually says, you don't always have to look for the right answers. If you learn to ask the right questions, the answers will present themselves. And I feel that's so important in so many spaces for us. Can we pause and change the questions for a bit? So if I'm, like you said, right, if I say, how are you? Half the times I'm not listening to what followed that, how are you? Can I change that question? How's the past week been for you? How was this trimester doing for you? How are you feeling about, you know, being in this point of the journey? Can we ask questions that we really genuinely want to know? And can we see how that also may change the conversation and in fact make space for consent to actually uh, just normally seep in? It doesn't always have to be very conscious. It's not like, hey, can I ask you about how your day is going? That's not consent. But can I, you know, ask a question and then learn to listen and not bring in unsolicited advice or assumptions? That's probably a better practice of consent. Right, absolutely. I think you've put that so beautifully, Shama. And I'll just add to that, that it's so true, right? And that's my most, I think, uh, biggest grouse with very typical comments, discussions, you know, even the, the like the body shaming thing you're talking about. And that's so much often directed at, at, at the child itself, right? That, um, you know, oh, uh, and what that does is it takes up space and it takes up space from asking other questions about uh, this journey, you know, because parenthood is so much more than how much they weigh, how well they do in school, uh, and how well behaved they are. Uh, you know, there are all these phases, all these ways to navigate, you know, and it's so unique for each and every child, you know, them uh, trying to get be individualistic, them trying to have their autonomy. Uh, then there will be, you know, these questions around bodies, what's okay, what's not okay, uh, you know, and it starts so early on and there's just no space to discuss all this because all our space is taken up by these questions of um, body shaming, how well they're doing academically, uh, these, uh, do you know A to Z, that's the core <laughs> in my age group, I mean, I'm talking about uh, the age my son is in and I think that's, that's why I feel the the burn of it, you know, that let's have some other conversations uh you know because i really truly believe shama that older people who've had this experience have so much to offer right because they've seen they have perspective they've had the transition uh and sometimes i feel um at a loss because sometimes biases come in the way to be able to access that knowledge uh, right and there, there is like you know if you do not listen exactly and do not do things exactly the way they want you to do you're almost like uh, it's, it's stolen off you the the wisdom that they bring in you know uh, the stability you know they they are the holding space for us right as we go through this transition uh, right that's that's the entire and you know that's the perspective of community mental health and that's a perspective of how traditionally we've raise children right that's why it's a, it takes a village right the village is not just to hold space for the child the village is to hold space for the parents as well as they go through this yeah. very you know confusing uh, full of flaws full of mistakes journey right that will happen but when there are only three tropes that you come back to and rotate around you it's such a loss there's so many things to discuss there's so many things to share 
you know and that's something that i always um try to you know dodge and <laughs> yeah 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 he, I, i don't worry we'll feed him well but tell me one thing how did you you know navigate when this happened uh you know and sometimes it's also unsettling i understand that because um we also there's also not a lot of reflection in some of these places like you said because and going back to your journey once you're married the assumption is ke matlab parenthood to next step hai uh so from the outside there's not space for reflection over there so sometimes when you ask this question like i think uh, i don't know if you've had that experience but how did you know you want to be a mom to ask this to somebody who's you know really um, ahead of us in terms of age and experience you sometimes draw absolute blank expressions and that's where i always ask this question as well did you have the space to question it uh you know so yeah so how's how's that felt like for you in terms of um trying to access when you were on your own journey and you know questioning reflecting were you able to access other people's experiences wisdom did you have that holding space i think it's it's happened to some extent in an organic fashion not i mean when i look back on that time and space i realize it wasn't coming actively from me wanting to know uh but you know one of those times when having a conversation makes you realize you needed it uh and and those sort of organic intuitive spaces and i think they've happened with clients they've happened with friends they've happened with uh people um from the previous generation so my mother's generation for that matter not just my mother but you know other people and i think again i'm not sure again how it works but i do find how the elders find it easier to be a little more open when you are an adult yourself like had i asked these same questions to my aunts or you know uh, you know parents friends who are mothers themselves when i was in college or when i was in uni and when i was just fresh into starting to work i have gotten different answers i mean i have gotten the run of the mill answers at that point where it's it's all rosy nice amazing you you know you, the, the mother is born the day she delivers the baby um, myth that we all are expected to follow yeah that sort of leaves no space for us to understand that this experience is so rich so laden and so vast uh but now when i ask these questions um to the same people their answers are a little more honest their answers are a little more reflective of their actual experiences so for them to actually sit back and say there were times when i really didn't want it even after having already become a mother there were times i was thinking why when you're financially stressed out and stretched out and trying to you know make everything meet ends with because again life is getting expensive and bringing up a child in these times is very very expensive and again i feel that we don't have spaces for these conversations so even if we have spaces for the bigger conversation of do you want to be a mother or not i feel that for me that answer can't ever be in a yes or no format in terms of how i feel about it that answer has to be tied in with my financial security that answer has to be tied in with my professional security that answer has to be tied in with my relationship security that answer has to be tied in with my contentment of where i am and what i'm doing later in life and so on and so forth and and that is what i feel is lacking so i don't think i've really had such conversations ever at length um and i don't think i've i don't think that's a very common way of approaching this question is what i feel it's almost like you know a lot of people still and people my age still make it sound like 
one day I just knew I wanted to be a mom. And I'm thinking, great, I really appreciate that feeling. But do you realize that feeling came after so many thoughts? Do you realize that was an end result of a long journey you had to go through yourself? And they happen in maybe very intuitive ways for all of us. Not all of us are really so vocal about things or so articulate all the time. But to, you know, glaze over that whole richness of it and then arrive at a one day I knew it. It's just so unfair. Like, that's not how you go about it. Right. Absolutely. I, I so I can so relate to the, you know, you, you're just telling me how the story ends. But, you know, it, it's not about how it ended. I know how it ended. How did, how, what did this, how did it unfold? Uh, right. And of course, that's the whole, you know, as someone, and I know you love uh, reading as well and fiction as well. So that's the way it kind of, you know, the, the magic is in the unfolding. Uh, right. Uh, very, very less in the ending. <laughs> you know uh, so I think that's that's yeah absolutely so true um, so beautiful the way you've captured uh, that as well and I feel so much of this is to do also um, with navigating these tensions that come implicit in many of these relationships uh, and I love what you said about honesty it's so true <laughs> that uh, you know when they feel like uh, their answer may make you choose not to be a mom or not to get married nobody wants to carry that burden that I am the reason why you know uh, somebody decided but it's so funny because culturally it adds up as and the number of individuals who've had this experience coming and telling me why didn't no one tell me about this you know, I mean, I would have made a more informed decision. I mean, it's on this podcast itself. I cannot tell you. I think every episode this has come up. No one told me this, uh, you know, and that's exactly what you're talking about. It's it's this fear of affecting somebody's decision in a way that, you know, you don't want to take accountability or be accountable for. Uh, and the second thing that came up to me when you were saying that is also this difference between the answer you give verbally and the way you live your life as an example and a model. And I think that can also be a powerful distinction because while, you know, and I think back to my experience, did I have these conversations? No, not really, not much access to it. Uh, but I had examples of women uh, in my mom's generation who did not want to be a mother and had to become a mother and seeing how that plays out. And sometimes yeah. example and model can be such a powerful learning. And you know that, well, okay, now I know this is a question I need to ask myself before I go down this path. It cannot be a pressure thing, you know, much like marriage, you know, you cannot get into it. I mean, you can get into it in pressure, but uh, I always say okay, it's the person who has to <laughs> go the length to let them decide if they want to go that length. Uh, or not you know so that's been another uh, thing that it's not often not just conversations but also what people are doing how they've lived their life their own trajectories uh, and having access to and observing you know how they navigate through these things that uh, thing and, uh, I mean uh, to be honest I mean although the term is all in now but I think uh, even our mother's generations have lived in pretty feminist ways you know uh, if we have the this to see that and to glean from that I think is uh, been a very very well-loved part of this journey for me uh, although they won't identify as a term and you know it's it's all very very fresh ways of uh, being feminist if I may say that right like you said in the beginning it doesn't always have to be this angry and you know screaming and shouting and making space but it's sometimes it's the quiet feminist right who is like huh, okay I'll do it and just doing exactly yeah. how they want to you know uh, do it and having the space to make that uh, transition uh, right so 
Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, this conversation has been fun. <laughs> I almost feel like uh, there's so much more to talk about, but yeah, it's been lovely to hear your point of view. I think uh, the very concept you brought in as we were even talking about this uh, possibility of this episode has been so. I'm so glad we brought this in. It needed so much air time, and I'm so glad you came in with all your experiences and uh, points of view. It's been so rich, um, lovely to have had this conversation. I always enjoy this conversation in two layers. Having it and then listening to it later is a whole other, you know. Uh, it oh, yeah. <laughs> feels really, you know, uh, great to have that absorption that happens. uh so thank you so much for coming on do you have any messages for everyone who's listening any concluding things you'd like to leave them with uh, through this and you know through this entire wide ranging discussion we've had really that's true i mean if if i were to go back and pick any one thing i think i'll i'll feel completely at a loss already because even in my own mind i'm buzzing with so much uh right now because it's been a very rich conversation and also like i mean like i mentioned earlier it's it's almost cathartic for me as well right so uh, to get a space to just come out and say that hey there are bad doctors out there and you need to know <laughs> which are the good ones to go to but i think just a quick um a quick closing thought here in my mind is is sort of again what you brought up the quiet feminism and we're hearing a lot of these terms of late no the quiet quitting and the quiet firing a lot of quietness is coming back in life probably but i think that's what i really want to highlight that there's there's so much value mindfulness and awareness can bring in for all of us at any stage for anything that you're feeling stuck with and if even if it means you don't really know how to deal with the pressures very well yet even if it means you feel lost about what will i do with my realization it's still worth asking yourself if you're you know really aligned with what's happening um i understand this dissonance i understand a lot of us find it easier to internalize certain ideas because to think differently and live a different life altogether is very 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 stressful but i think we owe it to ourselves so i would rather sit with the stress of that dissonance of thinking living differently and using it you know to to some sort of resilience building for my own self and you know doing what uh, i deserve to do for myself but i would rather do that than sit with the pain of not knowing that i did have a choice so i think just bringing that bit in that there's mindfulness there's awareness in this choice and if you start with very simple things of even asking yourself of do i want tea right now because i have it every day uh, or do i want to have coffee maybe so your choice building can start with the smallest of things and then you know eventually culminate to these bigger questions but you have to ask i love that i think that's a lovely thought uh, to end with asking and asking better questions i think that's so so key to this uh, but yeah thank you for sparing all the time and uh, coming on it's been a pleasure to share your thoughts about it uh, and to have you here thank you the pleasure has been mine as well <laughs> okay so hopefully we get you on at some point again uh, talking about maybe some other part of your journey some other experience some other aspect uh, that brings in but it's been an absolute delight thank you